Welcome, everybody, to episode 132 of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. The boys are back. It's Monday. We start fresh on a brand new week. The band has stopped playing, Dominic. The, the, the Red Sea has parted, and we can finally get on with this episode. Yes. How are you doing, my friend? I know you've had a very long but enjoyable weekend, which I'm very glad to see that you're you're, you're pampering yourself. You know, you're treat yes. treat yourself, King. Yes, and uh, let me know how you're doing. It's that anchor money. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, had a good weekend, man, with some friends. Really, from sun up, literally to sundown uh, over Saturday. 18 holes of golf in the morning. Uh, did some swimming. Watched. And for anybody out there, I don't know. We've discussed this in a few episodes, but I'm a big video game guy. I'm a bit of a nerd. So uh, the Call of Duty League Championships, the Grand Finals were this weekend, so we watched that. And then it ended perfectly into the prelims of UFC Vegas 34. Watched the fights there last night, too. So a great weekend. Now I'm here on Sunday in the recording studio with the amazing co-host Noah Baker. <laughs> and, uh, buddy, how was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was great, but I actually want to touch on oh. the Call of Duty League Championships. Yes, yes. Because – You guys, I'm not – I'm kind of the opposite of Dominic in that way. Like, in my life, I've been – I've had a lot of video games growing up. You know, I was a PlayStation guy since PlayStation 2. I've had the 2, 3, 4. Haven't been able to get a 5 because apparently they just don't sell them in stores, whatever. It ain't Um, easy. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about it. But regardless, I I, midway through PS4, I sold it. Haven't really, you know, had the urge to touch it since. Um, I've been, I was always a big sports gamer, though, when yeah. I was. I was never really quite into Call of Duty and a lot of those games like Dominic and um, some of my other friends are. However, Dominic and, and some of the days we would, uh, when he was still in BG, I would go over to his apartment always to record our episodes. And a lot of times I'd walk in and oh, yeah. Call of Duty League would be on. And I'm not going to lie, guys. I got into Sucks it. You in. Yeah. There one day, true. the one day we recorded, and I probably sat there for like another five or six hours and watched the whole day's tournament. <laughs> watched it all the way through. Yeah. So you know, I I can't lie, man. It it'll it'll hook you if you give it a chance. I know it, Dominic. You know, he always has the preface. Oh, I'm a I'm a nerd. Ooh, look <laughs> at me. But hey, I, I consider myself not a nerd, but I would still say that like it's entertaining. It definitely grabs you a little bit. And, it, and once betting be, sports betting becomes legal in Ohio, is oh. that going to be – can you bet on Call of Duty League? If there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> That's what I love to hear. Yes. You know what you can bet on, though, Dom? Oh. Fights. Mm, true. Well, not well, here in Ohio. Though. Not here in Ohio. But maybe. Uh, states someday. where, where – <laughs> wherever <Yes>. states allow. <laughs> um, so let's get into some fight announcements. Yes. Unfortunately, though, we start with a fight removal. There's always something. Um, Alexander Gustafson looking to re-enter the light heavyweight division, a division that he had such a profound impact on for so long. He is out of his scheduled bout with the number 12-ranked Paul Craig, who's looked really good over the last couple years. That bout was supposed to be on September 4th. It is no longer happening. No words yet on if this bout will be rescheduled or if Paul Craig will get a late replacement opponent. But I got to say, regardless of the outcome here, I'm feeling – little blue on this one Dominic. <laughs> yeah because if the fight gets rescheduled that's fine which is probably the better option in my head right now mm-hmm. but even if it does like i'm starting to get a little more down on gustafson making his return mm-hmm. um we know he retired after his loss to anthony smith then he came back about a year later this would have been last august had a fight at heavyweight where we all got really excited at the prospects of him in that division but he had a very quick and thorough loss to Fabricio Verdum who is a former champion but was also well past his prime and after that has went on he left the UFC after that went on to the PFL so it has had you know mixed results yeah there to say the least Um, but since then we haven't seen Gustafson and then he's been a year later wants to go back down the light heavyweight so I'm starting to get a little sour on him his potential. Um, and then if you go the other route where you get Paul Craig, a late replacement opponent, right. 
it's going to be someone who really for Paul Craig, you have no reason to take it. It'd be a big risk more than likely. We assume that it's going to be someone also unranked and just looking to make a big statement, you know? So what are your thoughts here? Do you have an inkling one way or another where the UFC might lean in which direction? Uh, Definitely unfortunate. I mean, shout out to Alexander Gustafson, a real staple in that light heavyweight Mm -hmm. division. Uh, But hopefully it's nothing too serious. Maybe he can bounce back. They can rebook this fight. Uh, I did see something interesting on Twitter, so I just wanted to say it here. Brendan Allen, the middleweight surging prospect, actually said, uh, at Dana White, at UFC, at McMaynard, no one at 185 wants to fight me. Let me step up on short notice and fight Paul Craig. Hey, I mean, that's pretty random, but if they do it, I'm not upset by it. But, again, it goes mm-hmm. back to that risk factor for Paul Craig. So, at the end of the day, try and rebook this one if you can because for Craig, although Gustafson obviously isn't ranked, it's Alexander Gustafson. Again, a staple of this division would be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, win of Paul Craig's career should he defeat him. So uh, hopefully it's not too serious. Maybe we get it rebooked later in the fall because I think it is kind of not kind of it is an interesting stylistic matchup because Gus is pretty well-rounded, but definitely the better of the two on the feet. And then Craig, the submission ace. I just think there's a lot of tests there for both guys. So uh, maybe we get to see that somewhat down the line here in the latter half of the year. While I agree with you, I think it's almost I'm, I'm just getting very skeptical on Gustafson really. Yeah being able to do much of anything against Craig as this fight. The longer you wait on this one, I, I don't – The more it Gust- favors Craig. Gustafson just – he's not what he used to be, and I don't think a longer layoff is going to make that any better. Yeah, I'm not saying if he came back and was a little active for a year or so that he couldn't get back somewhat close to his best form, but even that's kind of a little over positive for me here in, yeah. in terms of what you usually see in the fight game. And I just think that, uh, you know, this is a big blow to Gustafson with his long-term or short-term prospects. And then for Craig, you know, this fight was a – I mean, this literally was a win-win fight for him because you would assume that Craig is – he's been the more active fighter, definitely. But he's also shown to probably be the better fighter at this point in his career. But Gustafson Mm -hmm. does have a bigger name just due to his previous – title fights and kind of his impact on the division previously. Um, So that in that sense, like for Craig, it could have been the biggest win of his career, even if it's probably not the best guy he's fought at this point, Mm -hmm. but that fight is not meant to be. So I'm sure Craig will be ready to get back in there sooner rather than later. Hopefully Gustafson can join him, but at the same time, if Gustafson kind of just hangs him up again, I'm not going to be upset either. Truth be told. Right. Um, moving on from there, October 16th. We got a really fun one here at Bantamweight. I was a little surprised, but at the same time, I think it's a very appropriate fight to make yeah, here. The number seven ranked Ketlin Vieira, the number eight ranked now, Misha Tate, have decided to make it a five-round main event. Yeah. So I think that adds an element to my question here, Dominic, because your thoughts on the fight, but also – do you have any thoughts on this being the main event of that October 16th card? Uh, the fight itself, very interesting. It's a, another, you know, this new run of Misha Tate. You put her in with Marion Renault. She's on a skid, but gets her into the rankings. She looked great. Uh, overdone my expectations for her in that fight. Got the finish in the third mm-hmm. round. So she checked all the boxes. So there's nothing left to do but bump her up. And Ketlin Vieira, very tough, a great striker, well-rounded, a top 10 next to her name as well, a main event slot. I think it's kind of a perfect storm if you're Misha Tate. For Ketlin Vieira, a chance to beat a former champion, one of the biggest names in women's MMA history. So it really lines up perfectly. Uh, I didn't expect it to be Ketlin Vieira as Misha's next opponent, but it does make sense. I'm not like upset about it or anything. I think it's a great test for both women. Uh, The main event definitely is odd, but it's Misha Tate, big name. A lot of people will tune in. Hopefully, they obviously put a great card with it. We'll see. But I do want to see how Misha can perform should it go to those championship rounds, round four and five. And for Vieira, someone that's never had that opportunity, how will she fare as well? So a lot of a lot of intangibles. I say this a lot when we break down these fight announcements, but I do like this overall. Yeah, I, I like the fight. I'm, I'm, there's a, a part of me that is disappointed that we're not getting the rematch. 
mm-hmm. between Holly Holm and Misha Tate. But I think, unfortunately, it was just a matter of timing. Yeah. Holly Holm is scheduled to fight Norman Dumont. So I think Misha wanting to stay active. She looked really good in her last fight. She's got a lot of momentum right now. Yes. Um, she was kind of looking for someone here soon. So just that, it's not to say that fight won't happen. And I think with the matchmaking here, um, again, I told Dominic off for, off recording, I said, I'm going to stop being so focused on rankings whenever I'm kind of looking ahead and whatnot. But I will say the fact that you have number seven versus number eight here means I don't think a win for Misha Tate guarantees her a title shot next. No. So I think um, that's smart and that hopefully if her and Holly Holm win their next matchups, I would like to think then book that up. rematch. I'm still waiting for that one. That, that's I, I don't want to overlook Ketlin Vieira because she's a dangerous opponent. Yeah. I don't want to overlook Norma Dumont either because I've been really liking what she's been yeah. doing at featherweight for the last year. But ultimately – it's a good fight. Um, in terms of it being a main event, I don't mind the UFC. What they're probably trying to do here is see how good Misha Tate looks over five rounds um, because I, I'm not saying that they're assuming she's going to win. I mean, I think that's kind of the point here. It's like a test. But I, I don't think they're necessarily – they don't care all that much about maybe how Ketlin Vieira might right. look because I don't know if they're too sold on her being someone to fight Amanda Nunes down the line. But I do think they like the idea of Misha Tate getting a rematch because Misha Tate, I wouldn't call her a big name. Like, I don't think she's necessarily, what do you call them? Like a needle mover. Right. I don't know if she really does that, but she is a name that will at least draw a little bit more hardcore interest than um, the average person yeah. uh, that steps in there. So I think that says something. And I, I think this is a test for her to see how she looks over the course of five rounds, which is good because she looked great over a three round fight, but yes. she did put on a bit of a pace. And uh, that'll be interesting to see how she, if she can extend that to two more rounds. Um, and ultimately, with it being a main event, is it the strongest main event in the world? No. But if they kind of put some stronger fights underneath it, then who cares? Exactly. That's kind of the point. Um, that Really, you could have the strongest main event for a fight night in the world, but if all the fights underneath it kind it of suck matter. on paper, yeah. then it doesn't matter. But, uh, yep, like the fight. I think that's enough said on that one, so... That's going to end it for our fight announcements. Let's get into a little bit more news. We start with some Olympic gold. (laughs) Gable Stevenson just recently won the gold medal for freestyle wrestling. A beast. At the Olympics that happened this summer, but technically these Olympics were considered the 2020 Olympics, Mm -hmm. I think. Yes, yes. (laughs) So... Coming off that win, and, it, and he did it in like a highlight real fashion. Last yeah. second, uh, got the back, got the two points to get the win over a guy who was like a three-time world champion, the favorite mm-hmm. going in. Um, so he's became like an overnight sensation. I've been seeing Gable Stevenson all Everywhere. over the place <laughs> after this, and I literally didn't even know who the guy was before. And I'm not saying I shouldn't have known. I'm just saying yeah, like that just shows like the star power that he built overnight. Um, he is a a um, wrestler out of Minnesota. I believe yep. that's the college he went to. So, um, noticing some similar shades to another uh, high profile <laughs> high profile Minnesota wrestler and uh, Brock Lesnar, perhaps. But because of that, he has a lot of suitors right now. He yes, was at the Bellator fight on Friday in South Dakota. Yes, which we'll talk about a little bit later. He was he met with Triple H and Vince McMahon on the WWE. And he met with Dana White over the weekend. So a very busy man is Gable Stevenson right now. I don't know, Dominic. Do you do you want to speculate on maybe which direction you think he might be leaning? Or really just what what kind of potential are we looking at with a guy like Gable Stevenson? I mean, obviously the wrestling credentials are there. So that checks one of the boxes mm-hmm. of MMA. But we know there's a lot of boxes. So it'll be interesting to see what he's interested in. I know he's going to be chasing the check. And it looks like the checks are going to be rolling in for him no matter which path he chooses. <laughs> Does he go the Brock Lesnar route where he tries to stint the WWE, gets the bag there, kind of builds his name even more, and then you know kind of trains on the side and then comes into MMA? Does he do MMA first? Um, I know Scott Coker's even tweeted personally about him. Uh, even Dana White has too, though. So it's it's really showing how what he's doing with his name right now. A lot of people don't capitalize as much as they should, but Gable is doing everything and then some. So if you're this guy's manager, you're very happy with all the options to observe. I'm excited, man. Again, I'm not the biggest 
like freestyle wrestling, collegiate wrestling follower, even Olympic wrestling follower. But when you see someone like this who defies the odd, wins the gold medal in such an amazing fashion for the USA, by the way, which mm-hmm. is a big deal. Um, and then builds his character like this coming into a superstar, even though he's a free agent. I'm excited no matter what he does, man. He, he's got my attention for the foreseeable future. Yeah, of course he's got our attention. I mean, this guy, you know, how often do you see this? The sweepstakes is going on right yes, now. Yes, um, You got all these, you know, tops of these companies for MMA and then professional wrestling where they're basically throwing themselves at yes. Gable Stevenson. And he's kind of, you know, he's throwing out little hints and feelers all over his Twitter like, ooh, I – what do you guys think about me going and yeah. doing this and stuff? And um, you know what he's doing, but it, it works. You know, that, yes. you know, how often do you see this? You don't see it really. Brock Lesnar's the only other guy that's really been able to um, do that across different sports. He even did it with the NFL, uh, but that was a different time, you know, it was early 2000s. So yeah, now you've got um, the social media, which yeah, is really big that's, here. That's a big effect on everything going on right now. But uh, truthfully, um, I almost could I in my head I could totally see this guy doing the Brock Lesnar route where he yeah. goes professional wrestling and um, makes a big impact there and then once he has time to kind of reevaluate maybe mm-hmm. then you go and get throw your hat into a mix over at the UFC or Bellator whatever um, but I could also see him just wanting to go straight into pro- professional MMA it wouldn't surprise yeah. me either way. Um, I'm sure I don't know which one's going to give him the better check. Uh, I would, I, the, the, you know, WWE's got a lot of money. Man. Oh, it yeah. Surprise me if, uh, if they like a guy enough. Cause ultimately, that's what's so weird about like when Vince McMahon and Dana White are both interested in the same guy. Vince McMahon, it's almost as much on him as it is the, the performer to turn them into a star. It's true. Because the way you book them, you know, you're picking who's winning these fights. You know, it's not. How are they going to be perceived? Yeah. I mean, it's up to them to kind of get over with the crowd and whatnot and uh, maybe get into their character whatever. But um, in terms of how you book someone, matchup to matchup, if you make a guy look strong, if he wins a lot, then there's a better chance he will get over. Mm-hmm. But in the UFC, you don't have that kind of uh, cushion. If you will, you know, you ultimately throw a guy in there and, you know, you see if he, if he'll be able to land. Sink or swim. Yeah, exactly. So with that, I feel like that almost gives the WWE a leg up because they can, I mean, they'd probably be more willing to throw more money at a guy who they feel can be a star because they know that they have the tools to actually make him a star. While the UFC looks at him and goes, he can be a star, but can he fight? He can wrestle, but can he fight? And you don't really know that until he starts training and uh, gets in there. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure we'll have updates on this over the next oh, yeah. few months. I hope I hope here soon he makes a decision just because I just want to see him start training and, you know, get in, get in there sooner rather than later. But very exciting time to be following MMA or professional wrestling, if that's your thing as well. Very true. Let's move into the PFL playoffs. Week two. Week two. Yep. We had our women's lightweight semifinals along with our heavyweight semifinals on Thursday. I just had a, like a fly fly in front of my eye. <laughs> you were dipping and dodging. <laughs> yeah. um, the headline here says simply dominant. And that's that was the big takeaway from week two because obviously the what was bringing the eyeballs to this event was Kayla Harrison. And she was going up against a, a familiar foe in Jenna Fabian, a a large woman, by the way, very yeah, tall, six feet tall, long. Um, and Kayla Harrison does what Kayla Harrison does, and nobody should be surprised by that. She TKOs Jenna Fabian in round one, four minutes one second in. Um, and honestly, Dominic, this might be a hot take, but is this about to be? And I don't want to overlook her opponent in the finals, Taylor Wardard Wardado who got a win over late replacement Moriana Marais via split decision. But again, that was a late replacement. Yeah. Um, But Kayla Harrison was expected to fight someone else in the finals who um, I can't remember her name now. Larissa um, Pacheco. Pacheco. Who she had already beaten twice, by the way. Yes. Who, and that was the expected finals matchup. And um, it almost appears now like is this about to be maybe the easiest run Kayla Harrison's had in the playoffs in her PFL career? Because I mean, it's 
I don't want to overlook Guardado. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna call her Taylor. Taylor. I'm gonna. I don't want to overlook Taylor, but I'm just saying that like this, you she wasn't expected to even be in the finals, and she barely beat the late yeah. replacement and Moriana Morais. Um, I don't know, man. It's very impressive what Kayla Harrison's doing, but it's starting to like. It's kind of already reached its peak. Yeah. So now it's like what's we're all thinking what's next. She has to leave after right. the finals. They, but I, it, what's it going to be? But what's it going to be? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I posed this in a piece I did for Overtime Heroics. Just just like what is there? It, there has to be something else because she's likely – again, we don't make predictions anymore, but when it's Kayla Harrison in the PFL, you kind of just – think, okay, she's probably going to win this final. She's going to win a million dollars. She's going to win her second championship. But it's going to be the last fight on her contract. And you want to talk about an Olympic gold free agent, we're about to have two of them because Kayla Harrison is a two-time Olympic gold medalist in judo, and she's going to be a free agent come the fall as well, win or lose. I'll just put it that way. So does she stay in the PFL and just continue building her record, essentially, or is she finally – feel comfortable and ready because we see every fight she's better and better in all facets of her game. But even with the grappling, she just gets better, even though she's already so many levels ahead of everyone else. And I do like that after the fight in the post-fight presser, this woman, by the way, cuts promos like it's nothing. You'd think she's in the WWE. But then she's calling out Chris Cyborg in the post-fight presser and all this stuff. And we've talked about this before where Bellator almost seems like a more – um realistic route for mm-hmm. Kayla to take because they would probably be more willing to accommodate her, whether it's at lightweight or if it's, if she goes down to featherweight and makes a career change, there's more options there than there would be in the UFC and a fight with her and cyborg tickles my fancy plenty because we would finally get to really see Kayla get tested against a legend of women's MMA. And again, that might not be her first fight when she, if she goes to Bellator or whatever, but I think it's in the cards as well as potentially down the line, her good friend Amanda Nunes. There's just so many things to discuss here with such a dominant force here in Kayla Harrison. Give me your thoughts, Noah. I can't believe you said tickle my fancy again on this podcast. I've probably said it before, <laughs> right? I like that saying. You like, it just it always makes me feel a little icky when you say it. But I oh, I, am, I feel I, fancy when I say it. <laughs> just just good. Yeah. Um Kayla Harrison, I agree. We've talked about this, about the whole Bellator versus UFC route for her, where Bellator just seems more willing to accommodate her because she is a lightweight who has fought at featherweight but is more natural as a women's lightweight. The UFC has literally got a skeleton of a women's featherweight division um, that is just rotting right now. Yeah. And it's very clear they're not committed to this division. It's basically Amanda Nunes holding a belt for that division. And if uh, if someone has a win or two that looks impressive out of the, what, three or four yeah. contracted fighters in that division, then maybe you give them a shot. And if they don't win, then you kind of just see you. Yeah. Out you go. Have fun in Bellator or wherever. Yeah. While Bellator, it, it's a similar, I mean, maybe similar story, but Chris Cyborg has done a great job of kind of putting some energy into that division over mm-hmm. there. And um, I do think there's more life to Bellator's women's featherweight division. I'm not saying yeah. it's more talented because I'm sure the UFC does have the best of the best, but unfortunately they don't feel like the best of the best. Yeah. They don't really are. They're not given chances to get build up win streaks before really being fed to Amanda who, I mean, is the best women's fighter of all time. Maybe just the best fighter of all time. If you yeah. ask people like me but um regardless i like the idea of kayla harrison and pf and bellator um it just feels like the the next step for her and really that's a huge win for bellator if they get her oh yeah because i don't know if they'd be willing to accommodate and like make a women's lightweight division like i just think that's asking a lot because there's just not that many there's not that many i mean the pfl is the only promotion that's really done it that's big enough and you know she's running into the same opponents every time yeah so i think if she can show over a course of a few fights that like women's featherweight is somewhere she can fight long term 
then I'll be very interested to see how a fight with her and Chris Cyborg or even down the line, her and Amanda Nunes might go. But yeah, um, for some reason, the Cyborg fights, to, and I think it's very clear that when she called out Chris Cyborg by name, like that's that says something. Yeah. That says that she, that's kind of on confident. her mind. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hear Amanda Nunes' name. I yeah. Just, just I, I feel like she recognizes the, it's a realistic um, next step. Yeah. And then maybe you go to the UFC at some point, but then I don't even know because UFC is definitely scrapping that women's featherweight division at some point. Well, Amanda even still be fighting at that point too, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, and there's no chance that this woman gets down to Bantamweight. No. So no, no. It's, it's, it, it definitely seems like she's going to be a huge star yeah. going to Bellator. And that's a big win for them. So, um, regardless, though, she is in the finals against Taylor Guardado. There you and, go. You know, I I just she's she's in Ronda Rousey circa 2013-14 for me at this point. Where yep. who like you, every fight you're just gonna assume she's gonna destroy her opponent, and, and maybe Amanda Nunes territory where you yeah. just you just assume that. Honestly, I don't even think Chris Cyborg is in that territory anymore. I think after Amanda Nunes beat her, that really kind of you know made her look more human. Yeah. And now, like, I don't assume that with Chris Cyborg's fights. But with those three, Ronda Rousey 2014, and then current day, um, Amanda Nunes and Kayla Harrison, they just, they all, every fight, you just assume, okay, how long can the opponent last? And I'm getting similar vibes from a guy in our heavyweight semifinals who wasn't as much of a favorite as I thought he should have been coming in, but Bruno Capeloza, this man finishes fights and does them in brutal fashion, putting some technical prowess behind it. Mm. Like, I'm loving what I'm seeing out of this guy on the feet. He gets the TKO over Jamel Jones in round two, minute 33 in. He'll be going up against Ante D'Elia. Who, who he got, beat earlier in the season. Mm-hmm, who got a unanimous decision win over Dennis Gultzov. So we got two rematches in the finals. Correct. Kayla has fought Guardado. No, she hasn't fought Taylor before. Oh, really? Okay. I just assumed she had fought everybody. (laughs) Right, right. So, okay, you have one rematch in the heavyweight finals. And again, do I I see Bruno? Again, I know it's hard to beat someone two, three times in a row, but that (laughs) I'm simply dominant. And I'm not just talking about Kayla Harrison. Bruno Capeloza in the men's heavyweight division for the PFL has been dominant. And people are kind of. I know his record's not super clean, and you know he's he's been susceptible in the past promotions, but the guy's looked so good in the PFL, and I'm very yep. impressed. I, I the fact that I'm putting him on the same level when I'm talking about Kayla Harrison says something. Even if like, sure, there is levels to that dominance, but um, I, I really like what I see from the guy. I think that guy is got to be moving on to one of the bigger promotions after this season. Yep, I agree. I said the same thing. I mean, he's got 13 wins. All of them are via knockout, man. And again, how you said it is hard to beat a guy or a girl two or three times. Uh, you got to think that he has the leg up, being that he not only has beaten Ante before, but literally a couple months ago. So <laughs> these guys are going to fight twice within a span of six months or whatever the case may be. The biggest stage either one of them has ever had. And it just feels like Bruno has more weapons, more intangibles that – just grit about him right now and this run he's on, if he can cap it off with a million dollars and a prize, I think he very well could be a player and potentially mixing up the Bellator UFC heavyweight ranks and just adding in some more flavor, a guy that's going to come in and bang no matter what, but still be technical as Noah mentioned because he won every second of this fight and he didn't overextend or do anything crazy. But then when he capitalized, he dropped Jamel with, with a jab by the way. And then when he went in with the ground and pound, it was brutal. He's looking at the ref like, man, what do I got to do? He just keeps punching <laughs> as he's looking at the ref. So uh, I really like what we've seen from Bruno. Ante could come in and shock the PFL world. I mean, he was a underdog when he just beat Golstev, so he could do it again, get some revenge. But I am excited for the PFL finals. They're happening October 27th, so not too mm-hmm. far away. Yeah, what are your thoughts? I don't know if anybody else has brought this up, but I understand you have when you have a tournament like this, you know, the uh, Bellator is no different with Grand Prix. Um, but I think for a PFL, it's a potential issue because their whole seat, their whole season format is based on these tournaments. Um, every card has tournament implications. 
So ultimately, you do get these kind of big gaps in yeah. your fights. So, like, do you think that kind of do you see that being the potential maybe um, ceiling, putting a ceiling on kind of the PFL's long term success? Because I admit this season's been a big one for the PFL yeah. in terms of their growth and just overall, it's just been a better product. The people but, they brought in, but the fact that like we're talking about these fights now and it's like, oh, the finals aren't till October twenty third, which I get. You got to give these people a couple months, yeah, to prepare, but. It just seems like almost the PFL should also have like other things going on in between, to like really, other cards. Yeah, just to, you know, they have a lot of contracted fighters who mm-hmm. are fighting on these undercards that aren't in the tournaments. Yeah, like why not kind of throw some cards in there to and on those um, broadcasts you can hype up those upcoming yeah. fights. That's what the Bellator does really well with their Grand Prix and what Pride used to do way back in the day with theirs. I just think that these long gaps in fights is – I think it's going to kind of cap off the, the long-term success for PFL. Like they can only get so popular when, you know, if if, if the finals were happening next week, sure, you could really hold people's success yeah. or uh, people's eyes But you have to just, wait. You yeah. Know. And I get it again. You know, you got to give these fighters months to prepare, but – um, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Because I'm asking you a question here. <laughs> so for the tournament itself, for the regular season, playoffs, finals, I love that and how they space mm-hmm. them out for those fighters. But I do like how you say, well, there are other fighters that aren't in the um, in the tournament, or if they get eliminated, they're probably just going to fight, you know, on the prelims of another card. But why not? Maybe once a month, or just not even that, but just more seldomly throw in some little cards because they have the ESPN deal as well. Yeah. So they're getting, you know, broadcasted in front of hundreds of thousands, millions of people, whatever the case may be. So I do like the sentiment and maybe in a more normal year, maybe going into 2022, uh, depending on how many more people they can bring in, they can do, you know, their tournament with whatever divisions they choose and then still throw in a couple uh, extra fight cards there because they fight during the week anyway on Thursday or Friday. So they're not going to you know, interfere with the UFC on Saturdays, being that they're both signed with ESPN. So I do like the idea of having a couple more just to not only grow their brand, but just keep it more fresh so fight fans don't have to wait two months, you know, because you essentially get two or three straight weeks of PFL and then you get a two-month break. So I do like sprinkling one in in between if they're able to do that. Yeah, I think you got fighters on this roster who can carry a card too. You got Anthony Pettis, you got Rory McDonald. Who just got eliminated. Verdum is on there. Um, there's no question that you could put some sort of card together every once in a while in between your tournament implicated cards and your um, playoffs and right. whatnot. So I don't know. I know that the, that's kind of what makes the PFL stand out is that they basically don't do that. But um, I, th- I just think long term, it, it will be a hindrance to them that they that there's a lot of lapses and when you really hear about the PFL. Right. Yeah. I don't think it would hurt them. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to Bellator. They had a, a numbered event uh, this past Friday. In South Dakota. In South Dakota. Bellator 265. The main event, not going really at all how I expected here. Um, Chet Congo, the number three ranked heavyweight in Bellator, gets a submission over Sergey Karatonov. Round two with a minute second, excuse me, yeah, well, second yeah. to spare. And with that, Chet Congo is 46, 47 years old yeah. and remains a very competitive heavyweight here for Bellator. I don't know really what to do with him next, but this was a good performance out of him um, against a, yes, still old Karatonov, but an, a younger fighter by right. six years here. Um, especially one who does seem to grapple pretty well and you get a submission win, which I don't know how many submission wins Congo has, but it doesn't feel like many in my head. Like I don't, I was kind of shocked when I saw him get the win that way. What were your thoughts here? Yeah, man. I mean, 46 years old, like you said, and he's still just a player still in that top three of the heat and potential title implications still on the line later in his career. I mean, he's 46 again, but in Bellator, He's proven he's now 13 and three in the organization. And he's done all of this from the age of like 43, 42 to 46. So that's pretty damn impressive, regardless of the organization. 
and he's still at the top of the heap. Maybe he earns a title shot. We'll see what happens. But uh, good for him to get a finish. I know Noah said on Friday, as long as he didn't go to sleep while watching the fight, and he didn't have to because Chet Congo damn near put his opponent to sleep. I said it was either going to be one of the two, right? So shout out to Chet Congo, man. Still got some gas in the tank. Yep. Age is just a number to some, including Mr. Chet Congo. This is true. Let's move on to the UFC. They had their event Saturday night. Main event, mm. Jared the Killer Gorilla, like the headline states, got the unanimous decision win over Kelvin Gastelum. That means Kelvin Gastelum's on a one to four, one and four run as of in his last five. I hate to kind of be right. that guy and throw that out there, but you know, you just implications. And then uh, Jared Cannonier, that's a bounce back win after his lost almost a year ago at UFC 254 to Robert Whitaker. Yeah. So because of that, Cannoneer appears to have re reignited some interest in a in his title prospects and his and his ability to fight Israel Adesanya potentially for a title. While for Kelvin Gaslam, I've heard some differing opinions. Um, I know Dominic actually and me kind of differ on our feelings on this fight. So I'll give my thoughts, and then you can either respond or give your thoughts because I know we we differ, but like ultimately, it's nothing like uh, nothing heated. No, no. <laughs> just more so like in the results. I thought it was a pretty clear three-two for Cannoneer. Um, I even thought you could have scored this four-to-one Cannoneer. So ultimately, like as the fight was coming to a close in round five, you know, I wasn't necessarily sitting there like on the edge of my seat going like. Oh, whoever wins this round wins this fight. You know, I just was like, man, Cannoneer looked great. Yeah. And that's that's my big takeaway from my side here is that Cannoneer's takedown defense, which I know you're going to – that was your big takeaway too. He ultimately almost got taken down very easy at the round, end of round one by Kelvin. But I almost think that was to Kelvin's hindrance for the rest of the fight because he tried to get those takedowns later and Cannoneer was ready for everyone. Yep. You almost feel like if, if Kelvin had waited the shoot until maybe round three when he got bazooka'd with the fucking right hand, and if he would have waited till <laughs> then, he might have been able to get that takedown very easily. Yeah, um, you just don't know. But uh, Kelvin's takedown attempts weren't were a little bit. Uh, you know, you could kind of see him coming a little bit. They weren't. They weren't great. They were. They weren't really like shoots. They were more so like try to put him up against the cage and then lock his hands. Drop and down. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um Cannoneer just a little bit too too powerful, a little bit too good in the clinch to let that happen. But I guess on the other end here for Kelvin Gastelum, because this is one and four in his last five. Ultimately, his one win was to Ian Heinish, who's currently unranked, but you know, still a good um kind of I don't want to call him a prospect. He's just he's a good fighter, but not, you know, he's a he's a sub top 15 level fighter. Besides that, when it comes to the elite competition, you know, those losses, Israel Adesanya, Darren Till, Jack Hermanson, Robert Whitaker, and now – so it's one in five in his last six, actually. Yeah. So when you look at those, those are some of the best of the best in the division, which does oh, yeah. speak well to Kelvin's, like, resume that he's fought, like a killer's row, but he's not winning a lot of them. And, you know, Dominic's going to feel differently about this, but I guess for me – when I when I got done watching this fight, once again, am I impressed with Kelvin Gastelum's durability and his his heart and his pressure that he keeps on, even though he had gotten dropped and was definitely getting hurt by some of Cannoneer's shots, especially after like round three? Yes, of course, very impressed. Always, and that's always been Kelvin's kind of go to. Yeah. But when it came to when he was actually on the off- offensive, you know, even the rounds he won, rounds two and five. Um, in my head, it didn't seem like his, there wasn't any evolution in this guy's game. You know, it was the same plan of attack, which is fine, except it didn't feel like it was near as effective as Cannoneers. But I think that's kind of been the story of Kelvin's losses. He's his durability is what's kept him in a lot of fights. But you look at the Whitaker fight, um, the fight with the Hermanson one's a little weird, but the Asanya fight, um, which is obviously an amazing fight. No real loser in that one. But then the Darren Till fight. In these in these contests where 
it just looks like Kelvin has the same kind of plan of attack, but he's yeah. not. He's just not good enough on in what he does to be better than those guys on the feet for the majority of a fight. He is good enough to hang in there and be like, not really. You know, these guys can't like just coast to a win. They they got to be on top of their game. But it, I'm not seeing where Kelvin goes from here, I guess, in a lot of ways. So um, that was a lot of word vomit. Hopefully there was some clear and concise thoughts in there. But, Dominic, I know you're going to have your own uh, opinions here, so I'm going to let you get an opportunity to either respond to any of my thoughts or just give your own. Uh, I mean, in terms of the way he has approached those fights, I do 100% agree. It's just it's always this similar game plan outside of, the Ian Heinish win, which mm-hmm. say what you want about Heinish or whatever the game plan may be. Can he, he can't implement that against the other opponents, whatever the case, but every time Kelvin does fight, it's the same thing, you know, bouncing on the feet, popping in and out real quick. He's got the powerful left straight, but um, it's a overall relatively predictable game plan for these elite level talents in the division. So that does leave him in a weird spot because yes, he does take these fights and I respect this guy, his resume is unreal still only 29 years old this was his 20th ufc fight um but it does just kind of leave you questioning what is the ceiling for kelvin i guess can he get back to a title shot um he even trouble or struggled with the scale and this one which is not a good sign considering he struggled so bad when he was at 170 and that's where he should be anyway naturally i mean this guy is outsized in every fight he has at middleweight Mm -hmm. so there are just kind of these weird questions around the remainder of his career. And it's crazy because he's still so young Um, in terms of his future. I mean, like I said, up in the air, if I have to like say, what does he do? Does he go outside the rankings kind of similar, take a fight like Ian Heinish. Um, I like the idea of maybe fighting like a Uriah Hall where it's two guys in a similar state in their career, even though Uriah has had more success recently than Kelvin, but it feels like they're still on the same playing field kind of deal. It's a rematch from the ultimate fighter. I don't know. It's just, what do you do with Kelvin, who a lot of people still love and respect, admire so much, and he's always going to test everyone he fights. So he, honestly, you can kind of view him as an RDA in a certain sense where he's going to test these, whether it's young up-and-comers or guys that are jumping into the elite of the division, he's always going to be there ready to go for five straight rounds. For Cannoneer, he did look great, and I will just preface, I guess, before I get more into him. I did score it three to two for Kelvin, but I didn't go back and watch the fight. And I kept saying I wanted to because I was I was as I was watching going into round four, all the tweets they show on the screen say, "All right, it's two to one Cannoneer here," and everyone was saying it. And I'm like, I'm looking around at our friend Jordan and everything. I'm like, did I miss something? Because in the first round, and maybe I didn't pay attention enough. So it came down to the first round for me. I scored it for Kelvin and not Jared. Therefore, my three two scorecard. Again, it's not a robbery by any means. I wasn't upset at all. Cannoneer had a great game plan. He was powerful. He was very patient. His takedown defense was superb, as Noah mentioned. So there were still a lot of great things that he showed against an ultra-tough guy in Kelvin. Um, Knocked him down but didn't get over-aggressive and pursue anything crazy. Just a very intelligent, smart game plan. He's 4-1 and in the middleweight division, and this is where – Maybe this is a hot take. I told this to Noah all for recording, but I got to say it now for all of our listeners because I want to get people's thoughts on this. I think that Cannoneer very well could, and dare I say, will challenge Israel Adesanya in his next bout for the title before Robert Whitaker gets the rematch. And now hear me out. Hear me out. I say this for a couple of reasons. One, it's recently came out. We didn't really discuss it because it's all rumors and stuff. But they were saying that Izzy Whitaker 2 is going to have to be delayed until 2022. I would imagine that's because they wanted to do another huge show in Australia. And with all the restrictions, they can't really do it. So they want to put it on ice. But Izzy has made it very clear and he even tweeted on fight night how he's ready to be unleashed. And he wants to fight again before the end of the year. I can't blame the guy. He's a very active champion, much like Usman at um, welterweight. So... Oh, and one other thing. Sorry, I have three bullet points on this uh, statement. He has showed interest in Cannoneer for a while, and he made it very clear that when 
uh, Cannoneer fought Whitaker at UFC 254. If he wins, I want Jared Cannoneer. I want to fight him. And so, yes, he lost that fight, but he's bounced back. He just beat Kelvin Gastelum, who took Izzy five rounds as well in a battle of attrition that I've ever seen that Noah mentioned earlier, too. So I think that if Izzy wants to stay active, we know Cannoneer wants the title fight. He made it very clear. It's title fight or number one contender fight or nothing for me. That's what I want. And I think that if Izzy wants it, the UFC will make it happen, similar to kind of how the Vittori fight came in to where Whitaker wasn't ready. So he's like, all right, I'll sit out. You go ahead and do another middleweight fight. I'll fight the winner. It very well could be the same thing here. And I think it's a very, very high possibility. Cannoneer's fighting for gold next yeah i mean that's the way you lay it out like when you first told me i was kind of like really but then i didn't really know about i i haven't heard that much about the adesanya whitaker stuff being pushed back so that that makes sense but um okay so a lot you said there let me let me try to i know i'm sorry down. i rambled no, no no you're good that's what we do here i want to start with one last day on kelvin yep. i like the uriah hall matchup I wouldn't mind even seeing him fight Sean Strickland, mm-hmm. which again, I almost feel like I'm feeding into the thing I'm complaining about with Kelvin, where it just feels like this guy's just never, he's fed to the wolves. He's too competitive yeah. for his own good. Yeah. Almost too, like he's too good, like, but not good enough to be like in the top five, four, whatever, right. to be a title challenger or to win a belt in this division, but he's, he's almost too competitive to really push him out of the top 10. Yeah. And that's why he's like clinging to that number nine spot. The comparison to RDA is interesting and maybe it's true, but I guess RDA just is more specific or picky about the fights he takes while Kelvin just seems to always be willing just, to accept yeah. <laughs> any fight with any top contender he can. So maybe that is why I, I don't really, it's like hard for me to see the comparison, but also, I agree in the sense of like oh, if you beat Kel- if you yeah. beat Kelvin, what that means for you, and if you lose to him, what that means for you, kind yeah. of thing. Cannoneer, again, I mentioned at the top, great performance. What I what I where I said I thought Kelvin had some missteps here, and that I didn't see any evolution or any. And when I mean evolution, I don't expect the guy to become out, come out here and be a brand new fighter. Right. But at least in the Ian Heinish fight, he showed that willingness to grapple that you know, hadn't really been there for a while. And, you know, he showed that he had maybe been working on things after these losses. But, and with the Whitaker fight, I gave him a pass because he took that fight on short notice. And I know he took this one too, but eventually like, okay, just stop taking fucking fights on short notice then because yeah. it doesn't seem to be working. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of joking. But regardless, where Cannoneer I thought excelled here was, I did see growth in his game. Even yeah. though the guy's 37, you know, he's he's not in his prime anymore, but he looks um if you want to go off of the physique, the guy looks like a monster still. Yeah. But from the Whitaker fight, I saw that patience was very key in this performance and as you we both have mentioned the takedown defense um, was a great sign for him moving forward. I think the patience was more my takeaway because Kelvin's not necessarily, again, not not the greatest takedown specialist by any means in this division. So I didn't, while it was good, you know, he didn't get taken down. That could have lost him a couple rounds easily, and that swings a fight completely in Kelvin's favor. But Kelvin's not the strongest grappler in this division. Right. Yeah. So it's still something to be proven there as he maybe fights someone, which there's not a ton of really good grapplers in this division, if I'm being that's honest true. at the top. I mean, Derek Brunson, that's a pretty good grappler. Vittori, that's about Vittori, it. yep. Th- those are, that's really about it. Now, the patience, though, in the Whitaker fight, I thought um, all of Cannoneer's shots were power shots. They were, yeah. He was exuding so much energy that it felt like, while his movement wasn't really hindered by round three, I feel like mentally he was fatigued because those power shots weren't putting Whitaker away and really weren't landing all that often. Yeah, I feel like he like mentally like fatigued himself almost at that point, which is a weird dilemma because you would expect almost like a physical fatigue, but he seemed to be still pretty sprung at that at that later stage. I mean, round three is where he had the most success of the fight. Yeah, uh, just. He, he seemed mentally not to be the same fighter as he was in round one. 
Here, I saw a much stronger performance, five rounds this time. And he carried that power and really just looked like his eyes were never leaving the target for all five rounds. And he landed some really good shots, dropped Kelvin once. Um, You know, again, I liked some of those post-fight comments of being like, yeah, I mean, you know, because they asked him if he was disappointed about, you know, not being able to put Kelvin away. Like, what's that do to your mindset? And he's like, you know, Kelvin is a tough guy. I knew that was kind of his yeah. his durability as an asset for him. And um, I, I did, you know, it sucks I didn't get a finish, but, like, you know how hard it is with a guy like that. So I like exactly. that he, you know, ultimately the win was what was most important here for him, and I completely agree with that. And I underestimated, and maybe, and maybe that's why I put this as the headline, how much people would kind of buy into his title shot chances going off a win here. I really thought this fight wasn't going to do too much for him if he won, especially if you told me how the fight went, where good fight, but not like a war or anything. Right. And um, ultimately he wins a decision. I wouldn't have thought and that would have uh, really opened that kind of door back up for him. But with that element that you mentioned is he wants to fight before the end of the year, but it doesn't look like Whitaker and him is going to be able to happen until 2022. It's an interesting thought to throw it out there. I will still stick with what I was coming in here and going to say is like what I want next for Cannoneer. I want him to get the winner of Derek Brunson and Darren Till, which is happening beginning of next month. I think the winner of that fight, especially if it's Darren Till, because Izzy has basically vocally supported two guys in his division yep. with for potential title shots, and it's Jared Cannoneer and Darren Till. So if those two match up, following if Darren Till were to beat Derek Brunson. Right. I think that Izzy would love that because one of those guys has to win and therefore prove that they're worth the title shot. And um, But even if Brunson wins, I think that's a good fight to follow that up with. Yeah. You could also do the winner or loser of Paulo Costa and, Mar- and Marvin Vittori, but True. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stick with the Brunson-Till fight. I, I just like the matchups better, I think, there. Oh, yeah. Um, good fight though overall and Cannoneer. Um, in my opinion, he showed a lot here. I'm I'm curious though, Dominic, since you school I know you haven't went back and rewatched the fight, you didn't think it was a robbery or anything, but since you did score it for Kelvin, like I guess it's hard because no matter what we think, it's like the, what the judges say ultimately matters. And yeah, like those wins and losses, but I mean, is there a part of you that's conflicted about when you're booking, like, next, when you're saying, like, I want Kelvin to fight Uriah, I guess, because, you know, if you kind of think about it, if the judges score it your way, Kelvin likely on Tuesday is a top-five fighter in this division again. Right. So is there a little bit of a struggle there? Because ultimately, if he would have gotten the nod on the scorecards, even if we thought, like, I thought he lost, his next fight would probably be against a top-five, six, seven guy in the division. Uh, not too much of a struggle simply because regardless of how I scored it, and again, it could change day by day if I watch it again, Cannoneer still gave me plenty of takeaways to be satisfied with saying, all right, he did win, and I think it just lines up to where, yeah, I think he can fight for a title. Um, so, yeah, I mean, no struggle. I, I, it sucks to see Kelvin lose at the end of the day because, mm-hmm. again, a lot of people seem to be fans of the guy, but you can't hate on Cannoneer. I mean, this guy's a great fighter, very humble, very respectful but he's a beast when he steps into the cage. So it's one of those fights where no matter who truthfully came out as the winner or loser, you can be satisfied either way. Let's get into the rest of this card because there's really only one fight that we're probably going to like really focus on. But um, just a couple others to talk about. We'll start with the co-main event. Um, Mark Madsen does get a split decision win over Clay Guida. I felt weird about not talking about this one Friday again. Do I have a ton to talk about with it? No. But when you have a legend like Clay Guida fighting, you almost feel like you should talk about him. Yeah. Um, and Guida, to his credit, why I'm talking about it now, he showed me a lot more in this fight than I was expecting. You know, I Mark agree. Madsen hasn't fought in a long time, but um, the guy's a former Olympic silver, silver medalist. Silver yeah. medalist. Undefeated. Um, yeah, and like I know MMA is a lot different than you know what is it Roman Greco Greco Roman yeah, Greco Roman wrestling. Um, so I know, again, when you add MMA elements, it changes a lot. But 
still for Clay Guida to hold up as well as he did um, over the course of three rounds with the guy with that kind of pedigree says something. Guida's just a guy that he can have some bad performances, and he has had a few in his career. But ultimately, like the guy just hangs in there with like anybody. He does. I mean, he took yeah. some nasty knees. The clinch from Madsen was very effective, but Guido was just landing some really good shots at range, which has never really been his game. Yeah. He's always been an in the pocket type fighter. And here he was landing really good jabs and good overhands from range. Yeah. So um, even at this age, the guy still shows a little bit of evolution in his game. But ultimately, I, I did score it for Madsen. So it was yeah. a split decision. Which I'm kind of, in a way, glad that like you know Guida gets to walk away going, man, I was that close. But yeah. uh, at the same time, right guy won in my in my opinion. But it was a better fight than I thought it would be. That's really the best way to put it for that. Yeah. One. Um, now let's get this one. We're going to talk about a little bit more. I guess maybe we should mention the other one first on the prelims. Yeah, we did have a KO Holy shit. of the year contender. <laughs> KO of the year just got very interesting. Yes. Ignacio Bahamandez. What a name. I, isn't gets, that cool? He gets the spinning wheel kick KO over Roosevelt Roberts with five, five. seconds left in the fight. So, Dominic, to me, there's a clear front three right now. Yeah. You got the spinning back fist from Yuri Prohaska over Dominic Reyes. You got the flying knee. Yep. From um, San Corey Sandhagen over Frankie Edgar. And now Ignacio Bahamandas with that spinning wheel kick KO. Coming in here like uh, what's his name from last year who, who won the whole thing? Oh, um, Joaquin <laughs> Buckley. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, that, I mean, Joaquin Buckley was kind of uh, just another guy on the roster. and Yeah. He lands one of the most amazing knockouts of all time. Yep. And I know we just kind of slipped on his name there, but ultimately he did make him a lot more relevant, and he was a clear knockout of the year contender. Here, Ignacio Bahamandez, be ready, people, when the Joeys come around this December. Yeah. Uh, we will definitely be talking about Ignacio, and that especially that's going to help five seconds left in the fight. Uh, and, and it was a back-and-forth war, too. I didn't get to see the whole fight play out, so I don't know how close it was, if he was going to win or lose. But the fact that he went out there and said, screw it, I'm doing this, right as the clapper sounds and he lands that mm-hmm. kick. Also a huge win for him because it was his first win in the UFC. He hadn't won yet. I think he was 0-2 maybe in the UFC before this. So what a great way to get your first win. He's definitely going to be brought back for some more after that one. So way to make a statement. Uh, and just wow, he's he's gonna be in the Joey's come December, that's for damn sure. And then the one fight we really want to focus on here for the here rest it was the opener of the main card. We thought it was being slept on, and almost to that point, there was an interview with Dana White right before this card started yeah. where yeah. he said the winner of this flyweight bout between Alexandre Pantoja and Brandon Royval would ultimately be the next number one contender for Brandon Moreno's flyweight title. So that just added a whole nother element oh, yeah. to this fight. <laughs> we already kind of felt that way, but yeah. for him to come out and be that you know direct about it, I was very shocked by it. Pantoja does get the submission win over the submission specialist in Brandon mm-hmm. Roy Val in round two, minute 46. This was a wild fight. It was, Roy Val's <laughs> pressure, man. The guy's a bit of a wild man, but those holes in his game were a bit exposed here. Almost too wild for his own good at times. And Pantoja being the the older, the smarter in some ways, the more technical fighter, yeah. um, being able to kind of weather the storm, uh, get the takedown, and get a really nice submission win. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense that this guy would get the title shot against Moreno. It feels like an appropriate time to run that fight back. And you know, for Roy Val, it's a tough loss. Don't get me wrong, especially to lose via submission. But, um, you know, again, he's he's right in there with the best oh, of yeah. them. Um, the guy shows, even in his losses, he, he still walks away with a little piece of you, you know, and I think he did here with Pantoja. So, ultimately, Dominic, what were your thoughts on the fight? Probably going to be similar to what I just said. But then also, now that it's pretty clear that Pantoja is getting the title shot, do you think that's appropriate? Do you think that that is the the rightful next number one guy here? 
loved everything about the fight. We're mm-hmm. big on our flyweights on this podcast. They always get the hate and the shorter end of the stick, but not on this show, not on the MMA, <laughs> below average Joe's MMA podcast. So it lived up to the hype. And then some for me, the grappling in that first round, the rolls and the transitions was just insane. And there was a time where it looked like they were locked up in a figure four leg lock. I didn't know who had the advantage against who. <laughs> But, uh, man, it was so exciting. On the feet, it was a banger with Pantoja getting kind of the bigger shots, but Roy Val with the pressure just kept coming. Then Pantoja gets the fantastic uh, rear naked choke submission in the second round. And, yes, 1 million percent. And I just want to say, Askar Askarov must be relatively injured, at least in terms of a significant value, if they're not going to give him next. And he was already going to fight Perez anyway, but then that fight fell out. So he must be pretty injured. So, yes, Pantoja – a million percent. There's history there. Not only did Pantoja beat Moreno three years ago in 2018, but he's been a perennial guy for years, longer than Moreno, and he's never been in that title fight. So mm-hmm. not only would it be his first title fight, a chance to really climb the peak of this mountain in the flyweight division, but for Moreno, it would be his first title defense, and he's going to right the wrongs, wants to get revenge against a guy that's beating Two guys that have so much respect for one another. I love the post-fight call-outs. Brandon Moreno is in the building, just mm-hmm. smiling as he always does. I love everything about the fight. I think it's a super exciting matchup, especially to see the leaps and bounds. Both guys have grown since the first fight. Million percent, yes, that's got to be the title fight. And he called for December. I say we give it to him. I will just play devil's advocate for a second. We assume that it's Askarov. Maybe you have a, a lingering injury, but... I think a lot of Askarov fans aren't sold on that. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of Askarov fans um, feel a little slighted here. Yeah, I actually think there might be some uh, merit to uh, what I saw online was that I kind of forgot about this. Askar Askarov missed weight against Joseph Benavides. That's true. And a potentially, you just you know you had the whole debacle when Davison kind of took a little bit longer to get the belt because the him and Joseph Benavides their first fight. He missed weight for it, knocked him out. Yeah. So maybe they're just wanting to have like a smooth <laughs> title fight. If Pantoja wins, that you just want to clearly just hand the belt off and right. not have to have all that whole element in there. And Pantoja has been a proven commodity in terms of making weight, being ready on fight night. So that's something. But um, I hope that it's more – I I struggle with the weight loss or the, the missed weight uh, stuff sometimes because Askarov feels like a clear next contender. Yeah. Um, but you missed weight against Benavidez. That does hurt, but it's like, does it hurt enough? I understand the guys making those decisions. They have to think about that. Cause like if he misses weight again, like we've seen it in the past in other divisions, how much that hurts, you know, your right. title fights when they end up not being for the belt and stuff like that. So um, all in all, I'm happy Pantoja is getting the next title fight. I think Askarov might need one more to just show that he can still make the weight per- perhaps. Maybe that's what they, why they put him up against Alex Perez. Um, but Moreno and Pantoja, that'll be a great fight. Hopefully oh, we yeah. see it. Uh, end of the year or beginning next year. Looking forward to that one. Amen. And that's going to wrap it up for the MMA Weekend Recap Show. Uh, Give us your thoughts on a lot of these fights that we watched over the course of the week. Um, And then we'll be seeing you guys again on Friday. Yeah. With our MMA Weekend Preview once again. So be on the lookout for that one. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Twitter, Instagram, at DSLEE14. More importantly, y'all know the drill by now. Go follow, go engage, go interact with the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. And for me, Twitter, Instagram, at NTBaker underscore. Um, You go to the link in my bio. It will take you to the link tree, yes, which provides you a list of links, yes, to all the platforms the podcast is on, along with social media platforms. That includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout out to Anchor. First, shout out. Leaving a voice message. Do, Do it, it, people. I want to hear your lovely voices.
Yes. All on this podcast. Leave us a question, a thought on an upcoming fight or a fight that's already taken place, and we will basically shit on you for about five minutes. Or we won't. We give them the showcase. There's only you know? one way to find out. And that's by doing it. Leave a fucking voice message. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Or uh. <laughs> you could do another really cool thing do no i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh leave a leave a small dollar 99 or more or more donation to the podcast all that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast including me doing my laundry I'm i was gonna kidding. say where are we going here okay. i'm just kidding but uh, like you know i it, it does improve the quality of the podcast because i need to have clean clothes because i True. feel like you guys can smell me through the screen sometimes and we have to pay the intro band that lives below noah so <laughs> yeah, who's decided to stop playing right before the podcast started, which yes. was fantastic. But um, again, you can find all those links on the link tree with the link in my bio on Twitter, Instagram, at NT Baker underscore. But that's it. We're out. We'll see you all on Friday.